0: a While I made a pretty good living teaching recruiters who didn't know about this magical thing called a recruiting funnel. It was just stolen from marketing and sales and said hey there's this process there's a way of looking at what's happening so that you can start to see at given stages what your problems are and what your solutions might be now uh, to be fair i didn't invent the thing right it's' it's it's, it's, it's classic marketing and sales <laughs> it's been around for longer than I've been alive um, But I was one of the people, among many, 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 who brought it to recruiting or helped bring it to recruiting. I claim no credit for this. I'm just saying I was part of the process. Uh, The trick is things have changed so quickly that you got to wonder, are we using the funnel well are we really doing, are we getting the most out of it? Are we using it appropriately? Should we be using it at all? Have things changed so much that we don't need it? And that's what we're going to talk about today on the Talent Cast. Welcome to Talent Chooses You 2.0, the audiobook, the revenge, the son, the daughter, the, uh, you know, this time it's, it's personal, um, you know, the podcast. I'll see you in a second. Hey, everybody. James Ellis here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to Talent Cast. This is, as you probably know, the audio version of Talent Chooses You, the annotated 2.0 version where I talk some stuff about the stuff I wrote three years ago because I'm trying to make it better. Uh, to be perfectly honest. I don't know. It's not so much that I've learned a lot. It's just that I may have changed my mind. And maybe I'm not more right now. I just maybe have changed my mind. So there's more to this book, hopefully. So if you've read it and you want to, or if you want to follow along the text, you can see it over at employerbrandbook.com. Otherwise, this is a six month long project and it's brought to you by recruitmentmarketing.com, a community for recruitment marketing professionals. I just want to underline without recruitmentmarketing.com and recruitics, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd probably find an excuse to do something else. Uh, So thanks to them for bringing this to y'all. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you get a chance to take a look at recruitmentmarketing.com. So let's get into it. So the chapter title is this. Stop thinking about the recruiting funnel and focus on the talent funnel, which is kind of giving that game away before I started. But here we are. You know, you write these things and you're just like, I got to come up with a title for a chapter. Ah! Trust me, until you've read a book, written a book, it's, it's, there are things that you're like, oh, why do people do it that way? And then you write one, you're like, oh, that's why they do it that way, because you're tired. Anyway, so for the last 10 years, it's been hammered into recruiting's heads. You aren't as smart as marketers. Go use the tools and methodologies that marketers use. That's how you're gonna get smarter. 10 years ago, recruiters didn't think in terms of click rates and conversion rates and impressions and reach. They just were taught to just go push the ads out. They were taught post and pray right? No one had gotten around to teach them the sales funnel. And I should know because I was one of those people touting the magical power of a good funnel. Now, embracing a funnel makes a lot of sense, or at least it did at the time, because it was based on the idea that the decision to take action, when I say action, I mean apply for a job, take a job, right, is a journey. These are life changing events choosing to take a new job is a life changing event i feel like i don't i say that a lot and i don't think we've all kind of grasped it yet this is a big deal there's a lot more information in buying a car than there are in most jobs and yet you can just get rid of a car pretty easily changing jobs is a thing man it's a thing so it's a journey you gotta understand the entire journey. And at the time, recruiting was all about, you know, wow, reeling from this idea that, whoa, 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 what do you mean newspapers aren't a thing? We're moving from classifieds to the internet. They're taking the post and pray model, yeah, you know what that is, and just sticking it on the internet and saying, ah, same thing. Remember when the iPhone came out? Very The, the very first, second ones. So much of the technology was so new, the concept of having a phone that you could draw and, and and plug your little keyboard on in a way that was the whole screen was the key was the the, the, the whole device was the screen and the screen was the keyboard the keyboard was the screen all that good stuff they're so new that Apple took a lot of thinking from old devices and drew it in like a notepad Remember the very first notepad app on the iPhone it looked like a yellow pad of paper, which is crazy because. Why? What's the value of making it look like paper? Other than to say, hey, you know what paper is. This is kind of like that. It's kind of a head trick. It's kind of a nudge mentally to say, this is what this app is for, and this is how you're supposed to use it. Now, you fast forward 10 years to today, and it's like, there's a million note-taking apps, and none of them look like yellow legal pads, because... They don't have to because we all know what a note-taking app looks like, right? That transition of technology means you can't just, hey, everything's different, figure it out. You've got to help the user go, give them the the tricks and the hints of, hey, take this idea and now apply it to this model. The same was true with post and pray, right? You just took the old classified ads and stuck them on the internet and say, okay, I posted my ad on every job board. I'm done. Now for the praying part, I guess. To be fair, That's not a recruiting thing. You're not, you know, everybody does this. When when we moved from the internet, you know, from TV ads to internet ads, they took the same model of raw number of eyeballs is the metric, right? That's how they measured TV ads and how you paid for TV ads. How many eyeballs are going to see this ad? And we moved to the internet. We said, great. How many impressions are going to get this ad? Great. Except we realized, do we care about impressions? Because we can suddenly measure things called clicks and maybe that's more important. So it takes time to evolve into these new technological formats. Internet and recruiting, no different. When the model was of recruiting was putting ads in the paper and waiting for resumes to show up, I don't know, Wednesday, I guess, there's not a journey. If there was, it was measured in seconds between reading the paper and scanning the paper, looking for a relevant opening, and then sending the resume to the listed address. The reader went from, I know nothing about this company to here is all my professional information in the time it takes to circle an ad with a pen or stick a stamp on an envelope, right? that That's what it was. If they couldn't do the job, they just went to the next ad, right? Newspapers squeezed so many ads into a page because, to be perfectly blunt, that's where all the money was. Newspapers drove, got all most of their revenue on Sundays from classified ads and real estate ads. The reason why you have a sports section and you can get Calvin and Hobbes in your newspaper – kids, there's this thing called a newspaper. Anyway, um, that was because the classified ads paid for all that stuff. That's where all the profit was. That's what it was. So, what they did is they figured, we got to get more, we got to squeeze more space here. We got to get more ads into this space because there's so much money here. The margins are so high. So, consequently, they jacked the ad prices way up. And so, companies went, oh man, these are expensive. I'm going to figure out what's the least amount of information I can put in an ad to get people to do a thing. There's no room to sell. There's no room to kind of define the company or the title or the mission. There wasn't room for a 500 word job posting describing the color. Culture, no one thought to look for it because no one could afford to put it up there. Everyone, I'm remembering every once in a while, some company would just pick a big splashy ad. And you knew that they were dropping five and ten grand on this ad. You're like, whoa, it's a big company and they're doing a big ad. Wow. But you knew that they got a bajillion applications. It was, you know, those were very, very rare. because at best, you usually got like a logo or some black clip art clip art man that was a horrible idea emojis for all their failings were so much better than clip art i'm just gonna put that out there anyway the internet changed things when the space for an ad becomes infinite right if you suddenly can write as much as you want about a job about a company about a culture about a mission about the location and you can whoa i don't know stick pictures in it for free it changes things you know, you could write a book about a job, stick it in your job posting in the ATS, have it shot out to every job board, and that book gets pumped, you know, dumped into every job board ever. That's amazing. And with jobs from around the world available to anyone with a modem, instead of being limited to just whatever they were whatever newspaper, regional newspaper they had access to, they could see more ads and bigger ads from more places. Suddenly, the project manager in Tampa could see an amazing opportunity in Toledo, but the ad looked like the ads from the local gig in Tampa. So the ads evolved by adding a lot more information, company boilerplate, stuff about equal opportunity, maybe a quick list of benefits, stuff like that. You made the ad bigger, right? It's to the point right now, I see 1,500-word I see ads on a semi-regular basis, and I know some people will quibble and about what's the optimal size of an ad, and I have issues even thinking in terms of optimal size of ads, but here we are. Um, but yeah, bigger, that's where the pendulum swung. Now a candidate has more information to work with and can make an actually, well, maybe not a, a completely informed decision. I don't know that that's necessarily possible. It's kind of like saying, how long can you date someone before you know you're ready for marriage and feel 100% confident that's always gonna work? And then I would say, please notice the world's divorce rates, so maybe we don't know. The same thing's true for companies. There's still a 50-50 shot that you even stick around for a year. So even with more information, I don't know how i call it necessarily an informed decision, but I'd call it a more informed decision. But more information means more consideration and more time. Candidates can look at a company website. They can learn what the company does. They can look, they see what it stands for. They can see news stories. They can hit search engine to see what people are talking about. There's apps for, you know, anonymous commentary, not to mention Glassdoor and Comparably, not to mention, not to mention, not to mention. There's so much stuff out there, right? Suddenly the journey goes from, I don't know this company to, here's my professional history. That journey can take days and weeks. There's no, there was no immediate feedback as to how effective a job posting was. In the newspaper days, if a posting failed, you could tell because Thursday's mail delivery would be pretty empty. And you'd have just enough time to make a change to have it land on next Sunday's paper. It's a pretty quick turnaround time. The new model made everything so much more fluid and more complicated and more messy. Hence, the sales funnel, right? Now, relabeled and repurposed is the recruiting funnel. And it's pretty standard stuff, right? You start at aware, interest, decide, and act. That's standard marketing and sales thinking, right? For for recruiters, you become aware that a job or a company exists. You become interested in that job. You decide to apply for that. You take action, which is called the application, Stuff happens in the background. You interview and then you get hired. That is the total funnel, right? You go from I'm a total stranger, I don't know you, to today's your first day. In a model where the journey takes multiple stages, the funnel is a great way to help you see where the problems are. An ad that promises the moon can attract a lot of attention, but you can lose a lot of that interest when a simple Google search uncovers lawsuits, scandals, fraud, right? Well, anything like that. Without the funnel, you might think that the ad is bad and just rewrite it, not realizing that the ad is very effective, but it attracted attention, but it didn't kind of get paid out down the road. The problem is more in that interest and in decide section, not the aware section, right? The power of the funnel grows as the journey becomes more convoluted. I've seen plenty of images of people trying to redraw the the, the proper funnel, and you just so it's it's a it's a it's a spaghetti nest of choices and twists and turns and all the And every time you put a piece of information into the process, it adds another choice opportunity in it, which effectively exponentially, you know, increases the size of the, the map. It's nuts, right? So we keep it simple at a funnel. I imagine recruiters on the day they realized that their candidates were going to Glassdoor directly from the job posting to see how the public was reviewing the company. I mean, imagine, imagine that realization where you realize I'm getting all this interest. People are seeing my ad, but then they disappear Why? Well, now we can track that. We can see where are they going from that space. What is the next thing they're looking at? Is that the culprit? Is it the thing after that? Is it the thing after that? Why aren't they returning? How do we get them to return? Suddenly, you're thinking more structurally about the candidate journey, right? Without a recruiting funnel as a model, you can see how recruiters would have seen Glassdoor as a threat or these other news stories as threats and attempt to stifle it. Instead of seeing it as a way to kind of insert more information into the journey, leveraging this kind of third-partiness, if that's a way of putting that, to add some value to your journey. But that's what happened. Actually, recruiters really freaked out and said, ah, you're the worst. Uh, I heard one uh, one person, a highly placed person, I'm not going to say who or where, uh, refer to it as reputation, Glassdoor specifically, as reputation terrorists. And I kind of shook my head because, okay, you may need to step that back just a smidge. Just a little bit, just a little bit. But I mean, hey, if you don't know what it is and you don't feel like you have any control over yeah, Glassdoor probably seems like a huge threat. As we know, it's a tool in the toolbox. It's a color on the palette. It's a thing you can use to change the journey and change the perception. So seeing through the lens of the funnel... Glassdoor and all those kinds of sites are just another step in the journey, a place where recruiters and employer branders can reinforce their story either by asking employees to leave reviews or responding to reviews in negative ones and reframing them or positive ones and saying thanks or whatever. You have your own strategies. I don't want to get into that. But it also explains why Glassdoor's own play to turn a platform into a job board didn't work out. It established itself as a necessary step deep in the journey for people looking to screen companies and validate interest, not as a place to start a journey. Everybody knew you went to Glassdoor, you went to, I'm sorry, Indeed or LinkedIn or Bob's Big House of Job Boards or wherever you went. That's where you looked for jobs and then you came back to Glassdoor and comparably to go, okay, now I want to validate. Meanwhile, a job board like Indeed went and, you know got really owns the top of the funnel for a large audience but it tried to implement r- uh, ratings that nobody cares about so, <laughs> because people don't think of it as a uh, independent third party platform like they see in Glassdoor it's they're just differently positioned anyway whatever um okay so that's why they Some one company buys them both and kind of glues them together. I have no idea what the future in Glassdoor is. And now this is a tangent. Yes, there there we go. So anyway, at each stage of the funnel, people need different things. I think of all the things that funnels help recruiters do, that is the thing it helps the most with. I think recruiters naturally know this, right? I think... Here's the thing. I think I'm probably beating up on recruiters a lot in this in this first half of the book. And I don't mean to be, right? They have so much skill. They have a particular set of skills, as it were. Um, they are people people. They know and they can hear and they can hear people and, and listen what the challenges are and what the issues are, but they're generally not structural, systematic thinkers. They're very good at hearing candidates and kind of dancing with them when they need to recruiters know that each stage of the journey candidates need different things but it's in when you take two or three steps back and look at the 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 entire process in the aggregate or in the abstract that's where things are like oh we just need more you know we need to fill the top of the funnel we need to fill the top of the funnel we need to fill fill the top of the funnel and having a funnel makes you realize actually the numbers say the top of the funnel is fine it's something else We need to say different things to different people at different stages. We need to say, okay, we don't have to attract interest to people who are thinking about applying. We have to give them a reason to apply. At the top of the funnel, candidates need to know what the company is and what the opportunity is. It's just the basic information, but it's necessary to take the next step. What's the value of spending scarce time researching random companies, right? It's companies that you you're on the other side of the planet, or you don't have a job you'll ever do, or have political leanings that you will never, ever, 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 ever agree with, right? Suggesting that spending a great deal of time making your career site look amazing isn't always the best strategy because maybe it's pointed at the wrong people. You could be spending time learning about companies and to find they have no open roles. You could find out that those open roles are on the other side of the world. Right or don't have a bus stop. Right, there's there all sorts of reasons why those jobs aren't useful. So focusing on career sites sometimes doesn't make any sense. So you start with the information they're going to use to make the decision. But what's that information? So think of what someone needs to decide to apply as a hierarchy. Now again, I go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Again, insert your tenth grade health class joke here. You know, and and we'll talk about the, the content around this a little later on, but first you just need to get candidates to understand what the company is all about. Just some basics. What does it do? How big is it? How stable is it? Does it align with the candidate's worldview? Once that opportunity makes sense from a company standpoint, where is the opportunity? Studies show one of the major factors that allows a prospect to reject an opportunity is how easy the new commute will be right? Some people don't have access to cars and need to know how close it is to public transportation. In some cities, it needs to be bikeable or walkable. Location also helps the prospect begin to envision themselves in the role. They project themselves and they start to think about, oh, where am I going to get my coffee in the morning? Is this place close to daycare? Is it close to, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? It makes this new fuzzy opportunity feel more concrete, feel more real, right? So commutes aren't just about, hey, how hard and how far away is it? It really is about seeing, okay, here's the ecosystem in which this space is. The job that sits in a mall or a strip mall is very different than the job that sits on its own campus. They're just different on so many levels. And in a lot of ways, that information really informs a candidate's perception of who you are and what you're all about, right? If you have a campus, you're Candidate's going to read a lot into that. Okay, I presume they're going to try and take care of people. I guess my next question should be what's the food situation? What's the parking situation? How hard is it to get in and out? It's a whole different set of questions than it is about, okay, you're in a downtown area and I can, you know, you're in a high rise, right? You're floor 27 and I can infer different things. So that kind of information, while fuzzy, does flavor the candidate's impression. So after all the broader context of company and location, the candidate has to think about the specifics of the job. What are the tasks being asked to be performed? What is the level? What is the title? Can the prospect do the job? Could they stretch into this job? Good talent knows there's no value in are in, in applying for a role for something they can't do, right? They're not going to spend their time just applying for no no reason, no one thinks the application is fun. No one does it that way. Only weirdos like you and I occasionally will look at jobs and, and say, what's their process like? But that's for professional things, right? No one does it for fun. If the talent knows they can't do the job, they'll ask themselves what the, I'm sorry, if the talent knows they can do the job, they're going to ask themselves what the work experience is going to be like. Is this a nine-to-five gig? Is this something they're going to put 12 hours a day towards? Are they going to work from home? Are the teams competitive? Are they collaborative? Are they going to get a a nice view, a nice chair, a nice computer? Or is it an open bullpen with hand-me-down machines? It's not about being right or wrong, but each answer fills in more gaps and makes that opportunity more real. The more you give information about that stuff, and I'm always impressed by... You know, when you see jobs and they talk about here's here's a picture of your desk and this is what you'll look like. That makes it so real. This is the actual view. Now, of course, most companies don't do that because the view that desk has is crap. <laughs> but there's so much information in just a simple this is where you're gonna work, right? That's really what we're doing, is we're spelling out and making more concrete this job posting which in itself is fuzzy bunny and messy and vague and, and and as 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 broad as sadly possible. The problem is most companies do a horrible job understanding their own culture and do an even worse job communicating it in a credible way, in a findable way. How companies say they're like, you know, how many companies say they're like a family? How many companies say, you know, that this is a great place to work, that they have a great culture, without giving any sense of what that means? A lack of information creates a vacuum and the best prospects need that vacuum filled. They need to flesh that out. They need to fill in the gaps as much as they possibly can before they take action, right? If you're buying a car and you say, here, I have a car, you don't go, great, I'll buy it. You have a lot of questions and until you get every question answered, you are unlikely to make the choice. You're unlikely to make the leap. You're unlikely to buy the car. The job is no different. Just because you've made it easy to apply doesn't mean the candidate's gonna say, Yeah, I'm gonna give you my personal information. Sure, cool. We don't live in that world. Okay. But the big question at the top of the hierarchy is the hardest to answer, right? You've got, you know, what is the job what is the company? Where is it? What is the job? What's the culture, the feel, the you know, the 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 experience, if you will. But at the very top of that that kind of hierarchy is this question. Can the prospect see how this job, this role, this opportunity right here might lead to a feeling of personal or professional satisfaction? Unlike other levels of the hierarchy, there's no concrete information to portray up here. You can't say, yes, you'll find professional satisfaction here, like you can list an office address or a remote work policy. The answer not only relies on a deep lack of information, but the prospect has to know themselves enough to see how it works. It's kind of like saying happiness is a bit of a math problem. You need to see both sides of the equation to see if does this thing balance out. If you if the, if the equation doesn't balance, it tips one way or the other, and that's bad. Happiness is that balance, right? It's that flow state. If that's what you're into, it's it's everything has to line up. And so you might say, you're going to be happy working here, but unless you know who I am and what motivates me, what the hell are you talking about? That's really what this is all about. You want to get someone to see what you're offering and have the conversation in their own mind to say, hmm... I care about this, and I care about this, and I'm seeing those things in this job posting. I'm seeing those things in this picture. I'm seeing those things in this career site. I'm going to other places and validating that these things are not bullshit sales spin techniques, but in fact are real things. Okay, I'm starting to see myself here. I can start to see how being here leads to me feeling good about this, or having this opportunity I want to, or will give me the chance to, and, and, and. All that happens in the candidate's head. I'm gonna say that one more time because it's crucial. That entire process happens in their mind. It doesn't happen on the job posting. It doesn't happen on the career site. It doesn't happen on the review site. It doesn't happen in the interview. It happens in their mind. And even though you hold their resume potentially in your hand, you don't know their mind. You don't know what motivates them. That's, you know, that's kind of the prospect of what personality tests and, and assessments do, and I've got some quibbling we could do all day long on, on those things, and I'm not going to get into that for this book, but you can't know that. They know that, and they hold that key. So you have to give them the information so they can build it like a Lego castle inside their own head. right The answers aren't about right or wrong. Some people want a big company. Some people want a small company. They don't, they have their own biases. They have their own sense of what a big company means. They might see it as it's bureaucracy and politics. Oh, I don't want to do that. Nothing ever gets done. That's not how I'm happy. They might seek a small company, but you do have the opportunity to say, okay, if you're seeking a small company, understand that they've got their own process of you know, politics and, and, and bureaucracy and messiness and chaos. And maybe that doesn't make it better. You're allowed to kind of explain, but you can't be expected to own that process because it's not in your sight; It's in their mind. Right? Ultimately, this is about fit. And that's a really complicated word, and it's become only more complicated in the last couple years. I'm fully aware that fit can sometimes be seen as code for bias, and I understand that, and I respect that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about can someone do the job? Can someone add things to a value to this job that makes them more valuable? And can the person see in this job, in this company, I get something back? When I think about fit, I think about value exchange. I think about because, and this is, this is new thinking for me, okay? Fit is, is seen as, when we talk about fit, we think about puzzle pieces. Does this puzzle piece fit? I don't think that's what that is. I think people aren't static. Jobs aren't static. Companies aren't static enough to be puzzle pieces where you go, okay, it's clicked in. Great, woohoo, we're good. It doesn't work that way. People are messy and fuzzy. Jobs are messy and fuzzy. Companies are messy and fuzzy on an exponential scale. When you talk about fit, it becomes a game of value exchange. If I'm the candidate and I see that, okay, not everything here is great, but the things that are great are the things I care about, and I can find a way to over-index and maximize and optimize those things I like and find ways to mitigate these things I don't like. Isn't that every job? Like No job is infinitely, perfectly great. Right? There's things about every single job that someone's going to go, oh, I hate this part. Paperwork, uh, the Friday happy hour. Um, you know, there's, there's parts of it that you're like, oh, maybe I'm revealing too much about myself. But yes, I hate paperwork. Shocker, shocker, he says. Um, and I get really weird about the Friday morning, especially the virtual happy hours. I, get, I don't do those well. I don't care for those. Um, but you do them because that's, sometimes that's the job. That's the expectation. The question is, Can you create that balance where you can kind of mitigate and downplay the negatives and create the positives? And you can't do that without the information within the company, without understanding what they do, what they value, what they care about, what they reward. That's when I think about fit. Fit is a, it's it's almost a quantum state. And here's where things get really weird. I want to blame Hung Lee for this, for kind of making me think about quantum states. Um, just putting that out there, Hung, you're too damn smart for me. Um, it's this idea that I can like and hate this job in the same time. I think that's completely appropriate. I can love and hate a job at the same time. I can be grumpy and thrilled to be there at the same time. They're quantum states. They happen at the same time. So saying you're going to be happy here turns a qu- flattens a quantum state into a simple binary thing and I don't think that's how people are. I if I've learned anything in the three years, it's simply that people are even more complicated than I thought they were. And I thought they were pretty complicated in the beginning. That's that's what I mean fit. It's not about do they th- fill the gap in the perfect way. It's about can they find ways to create, can, to fill that space in a way that satisfies themselves, knowing that there's a downside to that. That is what I mean by fit. Anyway, that, wow, that was a whole weird quantum, kind of deviation. So anyway, much in the way that a candidate screens can uh, sorry, much in the way that a recruiter screens screens candidates by looking for reasons to reject that person as a means of speeding up that process, prospects do the same thing in the other direction. They're looking to weed you out from consideration. There are 20 million businesses in North America alone. There's close depending on the numbers you look at, 50 million businesses worldwide. And given that I can work from home to almost all of them. Let's be honest, there are 50 million businesses I could work at. I mean, I don't speak much Cantonese, so that eliminates a few, but the options are massive. So I'm looking to eliminate things which is funny because that's exactly how recruiters do it, but recruiters don't understand that process. They think candidates are applying to everything and they're the ones who own the cards, when the truth is the candidates are busy eliminating things as fast as possible so they can narrow things down to a a small set of companies. They can go, yep, this is my consideration set. A consideration set of three to five is much more manageable for picking A and B grade talent than a set of 20 or 50. And if you're a C grade player and you don't, really understand what your value is and you don't understand what makes you different or unique or special or what makes you that weird puzzle piece. again, I'm sorry, going back to the puzzle piece thing. you apply to as many places as possible, right? You have yet to see an apply button you don't like. You just go, sure, I'll figure it out, sure, I'll figure it out because I don't know at my core where I drive value because for the most part I don't. Yes, yeah, said it. Put simply, for 10 years the recruiting funnel enabled a huge leap in recruiting thinking by giving recruitment marketing a framework, and I love frameworks, you should know that by now, a framework that makes just a basic level sense. It's not perfect, but it was better than just, I posted the job and I got nothing. I posted the job and nobody applied. The job wasn't to pump and dump ads or content everywhere, but to understand where the prospects were in the journey, what the channels were leveraged, and what messages they might care about, and then find out what the problems are and adjust. For years, the recruiting funnel was simply a way of how the recruitment marketing just saw the world. And to some extent, that's still true, for better, for worse. So if you work in a world in which you took raw inputs and processed them into outputs, then the recruiting funnel would be perfect. It would be very simple. It would be very useful. But then we live in a pretty commoditized world, and that sounds boring. It would be all we would need to understand how successful we were being in attracting and finding and hiring talent. But the world keeps evolving. And that means the funnel needs to evolve with it. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts I I, don't know, I still can't decide how to do these section titles. Anyway, in recruitment marketing funnel world, a recruiter or sorcerer's job is to find the talent. They're the hunters. They stalk the prey through the, the, the primeval forest, right? They find the telltale signs that someone valuable is around. They see the articles or the conference write-ups or the comments on other people's posts. They see the mentions by professionals. They see ne- you know, network activity, whatever it is. Like, it's like, it's like the, they're, they're tracking down deer and it's the spore, or the, the rubbings on the trees, right? They're hunting. And a smart recruiter knows how to hunt in packs, leveraging the hiring manager or the network or sourcing jams and the connections of the talent to talk to the brand, talk about the brand, talk about the company, talk about the opportunity and suggest that they consider the company they flood the praise social channels with positive mentions of the brand, right? Don't think you do that? Hey, if you get a cookie when someone shows up to your career site and then you pay for ads to remind them about those ads, that's what you're doing. (laughs) I hope you know that. You know, you're flooding that channel with positive mentions of the brand, invitations for an event or a coffee, articles about similar people. You're feeding and feeding and feeding, but it's all you're doing is dropping bait to attract them into the trap, helping the prospect build that nest internally of a brand perception that drives the application that you care about. Now, there was a time in which we hunted for food this way too, right? We stalked the big game across the plains or in the forest, and with each successful kill, we got the meat we needed for the tribe, for the family, for the group. And while meat is delightful and delicious, deriving a majority of your nutrients and calories this way is a pretty tough way to live right you exist in a feast or famine world you know if the if the animals move you got to follow them you are not in charge of your own destiny sometimes you have more than you can eat in a day and it rots and some days you have not enough meat and people go hungry depending on your ability and the availability of the animals around you you are not driving your destiny and recruiters know that even if they stumble across a pond a pod of great talent a cluster of great sales managers or consultants or whatever they can only hire the one there's literally sometimes too much talent in one day and it i guess rots and they all disappear by the time the next requisition rolls around requiring the hunter recruiter to start from scratch every single time sucks you can't leverage these 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 feast moments as a business it's hard to commit to growth to new clients, to new deliverables, to locations, to competencies, to functions, to products, if you can't rely on the talent to show up. Recruiting is the team designed to ensure that there's enough talent to meet the business demand, but they themselves cannot predict feast or famines. Yeah, this is kinda interesting. This is why humans eventually stopped hunting for most of their food and learned to farm, right? This is how humans take control. This is how they start to drive their own destiny. Rather than wandering around and hoping to kind of chance upon some some talent, oh, see, I'm just mixing metaphors all over the place, they planted it and cultivated it. They think about how do I build relationships with talent before I need to leverage them. We developed systems that supported effective and efficient growth. We designated an area of our land in which only farming occurred. We domesticated animals not for food but to help cultivate the land. Sure, if animals were available, we still hunted, no, we didn't we still took the meat when we, when it showed up. But mostly we could rely on the food we raised. We ensured that famines were far less common. We could count on that food. We could plan for that food, right? And that allowed a base level of nutrition so that when we decided to hunt, that was just gravy. That was just fun. The top of the recruiting funnel suggests that food just shows up, the candidates just show up, that as a sheep or a bison wander by, you grab it and you eat it. Simple as that. An animal simply appears, it's suddenly in the area, and you hunt it down and you take it. You are opportunistic. You take advantage of good opportunities, but you're never actually thinking about where those opportunities come from. You don't have time to wonder about why they happen or what you can do to create those opportunities. At best, You can pack your tribe up and follow the herd, but for the most part, it simply exists and you react. You don't need to feed the bison. You don't need to make the bison bigger. They're doing that on their own. You don't have to teach the sheep how to breed and grow. You simply take when you find it. That means the recruiting funnel moves in one direction. Things show up at the top, you process them down, and you pass them through. And the world spins and things happen, and eventually you reap the outputs. In a space where talent is abundant, there's no need to do anything more than pluck it from the land, right? This is how recruiters worked for decades. You post an ad, applications show up, you hunt them down, and boom. (laughs) I mean, effectively, talent were like herds of deer or caribou covering the landscape in grand herds. The real test happened when the game was much less plentiful. And if you don't think about that's where we are today, yeah, you're wrong, we are. Think about what it must have been like when the abundant herds simply disappeared, where the hunting immediately became scarce, where the droughts made the fruit wither. What do you do first? Now, much like recruiters right now, they worked really hard to maximize what limited resources they have. They build tools to help them hunt faster, to take advantage of the food when it does show up, to, to, to maximize that process, right? to optimize around making sure more of the food they show up gets hunted down. They, well, hold on. they use more of the animal. They leave less for scrap. They built systems that allow people to do nothing but track the animal and signal the food to the hunters who pass the animal back to the camp for processing. Right? They specified. They focused. They you know, got real specific on their job. They're focused on optimizing what they could do because they didn't see a way to change their own context. They couldn't demand more food show up, so they figured out ways to make more of what they had they squeeze the lemon harder to get more of the juice. But at some point, the lemon dries up. This probably sounds a lot like most recruiters' lives. Relying on old-school thinking and building processes on top of them to extract more value from a diminishing supply. Does this hurt yet? Because this, yeah, this feels really dead on. You don't think you have the time or the resources or the agency to think of a better way to live, and thus, You're stuck. It becomes a self-fulfilling cycle of diminishing returns. You squeeze more value out of what you have. You piss off a bunch of talent because you don't hire them. They tell their friends. It makes it harder and harder and harder. And so your only bet is to maximize what you have. This is where a lot of recruiting lives. But it doesn't have to be that way. And tomorrow, next week, we're going to talk about how to change the funnel. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Once again, I want to thank RecruitmentMarketing.com. They are a community for recruitment marketing professionals. Take a look at the at the site, RecruitmentMarketing.com. Uh, you know, they got a lot of good stuff out there. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for telling everybody about this. Thanks so much for enjoying the book. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter, it's EmployerBrand.News. Just go and sign up. It's free. I don't charge anybody for it. I don't get paid for that. It's just a thing I do to get you smarter. Thanks, everybody, and I'll talk to you next week.